Welcome to Fortress on a Hill. I'm Henry. I'm Danny. I'm Kagan. We're three leftist veterans that aim to expose the reality of the U.S. military's multiple wars abroad and to illuminate the damage military service does to Americans. American presidents throughout U.S. history have used American military and diplomatic power to force regime change of democratically elected governments around the world. Most veterans come from families vested in prior service, and American generals choose their own, ensuring diversity of thought never interferes with American warmongering. How can we stand by and do nothing while our military kills and destroys lives the world over, while telling Americans that all this death and destruction protects them from terrorists when nothing could be more false? Fortress on a Hill aims to change that. Hi everyone, welcome to Fortress on a Hill. Uh, Kagan and I are here to take a moment and kind of reflect on the year a little bit. Talk about some um, some headlines that I think people should be paying attention to as the, the new year comes around. Um, talk about uh, just a few of our impressions of the year. Uh, a few favorite episodes and, and a few other things. Um, so... Really glad that you all uh, could join us join us for that today. Kagan, how are you, man? I'm good, Henry. I uh, hope you had a good holiday season. And I'm looking forward to whatever next year brings. Yeah, I did. I did. I had a I had a nice Christmas. My uh, my kids were with me for Christmas this year, so we had a right. had a really good time and got to spend 8 or 9 days with them and that was that was really great. Um so uh, before the the headlines, though, just just real quick, that 2021 has been a, a very hard year. Um, I think for everyone, I think we can say that for every you know American citizen, every non-American citizen, especially in places where where vaccines are are not readily available for everyone in the community, um, and that uh, in addition to that, the the beginning of the Biden administration, the um, seeing exactly how far the Democrats are willing to go fighting COVID um, after seeing how the Republicans handled it. Um, Which is but, to say not that much different. No, they're not that much different. Oh. We, you know, the, and, and not, not to, to, um, not to derail starting our discussion here, but yeah, it, it, it we, we knew that, that Biden might do a few things, a few little things here and there, but by and large, no, there really hasn't been help for people. And especially that there hasn't been the level of help needed to deal with vaccine disparities in the, especially in the global South, but in lots of countries around the world. Um, and that really does need to need to change. And especially it needs to be seen. You know, I don't I don't understand why more military analysts aren't seeing it more as a national security concern, um, especially long term. Um, and speaking of national security desert, uh, concerns and disease, um, I have a study that I want to do a, a longer episode later in more detail. But it's a it's a study from a university in Canada talking about how the U.S. military acts as a disease vector for uh, COVID-19, but other, other diseases as well, that because there are military personnel all over the world and many are constantly traveling from place to place, sailors from port to port, um, that 
we're not actively working on understanding how the military is ending up moving COVID to different places. And not that they're the only culprit, certainly, but it, it's something that does need to be, I think, looked at much more seriously. Um, but not specifically just COVID-19. Um, part Another aspect of the report mentioned about how STD rates are much, much higher in towns that are military communities than there are elsewhere within the United States. And I mean, they, they have the stats, they're able to, to prove it definitively. Um, but I, I think that that's a really big question that hasn't been dealt with enough is how both both the, the active duty, you know, at home garrison side of the military, dealing with the uh, service members getting getting ill trying to do quarantines um you know we saw what happened with the um with theodore roosevelt um early that kind of you know gave us an idea of what that would look like but for the most part we still don't have a lot of statistics we don't have a lot of understanding of how many troops have actually been sick has the military been actually quarantining like they're supposed to who do we trust to actually answer those questions um so i think it's a really important thing for people to be looking at going into the new year you know that the that you know with with military deployments doesn't just come you know violence on the people there or the destruction of their communities through environmental means it can also mean literal disease um, another point that they made, and it was kind of attached to the STDs thing, was the about the immense number of um, people that were given venereal disease during the Korean War by U.S. service members. So, anyway, um, Kagan, what uh, do you have any uh, any thoughts on that? Um, I mean, this whole. To me, this whole pandemic has just shown that, like, we don't have systems that are set up to deal with crisis no. because we've atomized and individualized, like, every public system that we have, and we've tried to privatize a lot of it, that the, the effort to do anything has been so disjointed. And it's annoying because, like, we, like, we, we have that habit of doing that in American society, of, like, boiling everything down to personal choice and individual responsibility, like we've done with, like, the, the, uh, the polluters have done forever. Like, when they knew about all the climate change and the, what their effects were having back in the 60s and the 70s, and they just, just decided to not give a shit because they wanted to make money. And then so they came up with all the recycling stuff to say, oh, look at what you can do. You can do your part. But it's like, you guys are polluting way more than regular people ever could. But oh, don't, don't care about that. And that's been my one thing about the like vaccination versus the unvaccinated folks. It's like, it was another way to like divide us. Like, should people get vaccinated? Yes. Like, I mean, I think so. I think that if we want to beat this, this disease, the only way we do that is by vaccinating the whole world. And we in the rich countries took 87% of the vaccine supply right away. And then we're like, oh, we'll give it to poor countries when we could have just from the beginning made this a pat like patent-free place and not put a patent on it and just let people create generic vaccines. We probably would be in a lot better position than we are now. And it's always because at the end of the day, 
what matters most in America is making money over caring about people. And we just like, it sucks that we've had to see that, but the silver lining in that is that more people are waking up to this. More people are waking up to the fact that this is a problem that it needs to get addressed. And that if we actually want to fix some of these bigger problems, we have to change our structures to actually care about people. And that's, my, that's the only thing that I'm like holding on to honestly about all of this is like the fact that we can, we don't just have to react to shit. Like we can be proactive. That's part of what makes us, you know, the dominant species on the planet is our ability to plan and our ability to like think ahead. And we can either like think ahead just like a little bit, like next quarter, next election cycle, like in these stupid short-term analyses, which we tend to do a lot, or we can actually look at like, okay, what's the worst case scenario and plan for that because then we would not be surprised and we wouldn't be like scrambling to try to figure out what to do because this entire fucking time, it's just, it's gone up. And then we're like, oh no, we need to do something better. And then the minute that it starts dropping, everyone's like, okay, we're good. Like, so we can go back up, open everything up again. And, it's, and then the numbers shoot up again. And it's like, you like, why is this? This isn't fucking hard to understand that when you let people out, when there's still a fucking virus going around, the cases are still going to go on. But I mean, we just saw with the, the new CDC guidance where they literally just cut the fucking number in half. And their only defense of that is, you know, like a base, like uh, I heard one of our, or one of the Multnomah County folks say that, you know, this isn't based on any data. It's based on inference. It's just based on what they can see and what they're basically allowing themselves to believe. And it's just like, how, like the thing that makes me sad is that there's a lot of people on the right who are like looking at this as like, oh, the government's being so terrible. And it's like, you have to understand the marriage of the government and the corporations is complete in our country. And so when you're shitting on the government, but not shitting on these big companies that are making so much fucking money off of literally letting people die. And it's like, come on, like they're, they have been in the pocket, like government is in the pocket of these big corporations. And if we keep letting this happen and keeping like, oh, we're just going to elect a new person without actually understanding the fundamental changes that we need to make to revamp our entire society. Like we're not going to be in a better place. <laughs> so, but I, but again, like there's a lot of people out there who are, who are understanding that and they're, they're coming to grips and realizing like, okay, these people are just two sides of the same coin. And if we actually want to change stuff, we need to stop letting these two parties just jockey for control. And yeah, I mean, we passed the the biggest military budget ever, right? And everyone's like, why did we do that? We just ended the war. Oh, because it's not about war. It's about the fact that the floor never goes down, that these con these contractors have such a vice grip on all of the Congress that they can never be challenged. And, you know, Bernie and Roe were like saying, oh, let's do a 10% decrease, which is fucking nothing. Like we could literally cut our shit in half and still be the best military in the entire world and yet they, every time they talk about any kind of decrease it's like oh no we can't do that because of blah 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 like you're hurting the troops or whatever and it's like fuck you guys like no one can be ever actually honest 
about their <laughs> like people would be more happy i think if they did say yeah no uh north of drummond has all these like jobs in my district and that's why i voted for it. Or, like even like bernie like bernie has been like a big you know push for people stuff but when it comes to the f-35 when it comes to the military like he doesn't say anything about it or he's very tight-lipped about it as far as what happens because they make a lot of f-35 parts in vermont and it's just like that's the fucking problem is the fact that they have such a vice grip on congress that the minute anyone gets they get uh to speak out against it you know they just say okay good luck freaking re-election yeah it's i'm I agree with you about, you know, get, I think I think getting vaccinated is a really is is the best choice for everybody in trying to make things better. But on the on the other side, that the different moves and the CDC reducing the quarantine time is just the most recent one. But the um, I can't remember which corporation it was, but one of the shots that they said that the data on the shots won't be released for like 85 or 90 years. <laughs> and so. You know, I, 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 in, in terms of, I, there's, there's no way to talk around that with people who are anti-vax, you know, it's re I mean, it is, it's, it's in the news, it's a reality. And I, I appreciate their, their skepticism about, about trying to move forward with that. Um, but specifically about the military and anti-vax skepticism that, going into the military requires a whole slew of vaccinations. And so I was chatting with uh, Bill, a uh, hi, Bill. Bill's a listener of the podcast and a, a, I think he's a national guard chaplain, but anyway, still, still a chaplain, but we were, we were talking about that and people going to meet with their chaplains and getting questions, you know, are you, you know, to get a religious accommodation and it's like, yeah, did, did they, object to any of the other ton of vaccinations that you get on the on the way in the service um or you know did they object to anything else more serious you know they don't object to war they don't object to being deployed all the time and having their own psyches destroyed um but there is a very on the other hand there is a very strong feeling within the military about the shots we get we get them you know, because we're ordered to get them. I don't think a lot of us would say we won't get as many if the army didn't force us to in uh, in one way or another. Um, but there are times when stuff does still get put across that is experimental. When the anthrax shot came out in, uh, I don't even remember where, where it was when I was in, but I think the series is six shots. You end up getting six shots over a number of years. I think I got nine. You know, and and you'd argue with the medic, like, yeah, the last, the last uh, medic or whoever gave it didn't annotate it correctly on the form, so now you're getting it again. But you know, there was a point when it didn't actually have full FDA approval, and people were still getting it. People were getting it in basic training, and you know, you end up the military ends up causing people a lot of a lot of disease. Why would it not? Why would people not have the question about whether there was a deeper connection between all those things, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, there, there is, there is certainly, I think there's a, there's a, a, a large segment that it's about, it's about the partisanship of the issue more than 
actually actually doing it but i understand people's skepticism i do i think people should be skeptical of what they put in their bodies and 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 the thing is is that you, people their, their their evidence needs to be continue to get vetted you can't just mm-hmm. you know, get yeah. a fact and decide that this is the last fact because more information comes out and it is important to weigh evidence between different places with different biases because they're going it's going to be there so anyway yeah. Yeah. Listening to more, uh, that's something we're not super good at in America. It's like listening to non-American, like anything. So like for me, like uh, I've been looking at like the Imperial College of London has done some really great data over the whole pandemic, just like trying to be as fact-based as possible of like, what are we seeing? And without bias. And I just like, I appreciate that there's people out there who are trying to do that and it makes me sad to talk to some of my family that are like, you know, aren't going to get vaccinated. And they're like, well, there's just, there's too much propaganda around it. And I'm like, there's also a lot of propaganda on the other side. Yeah. And, you know, like coming from like an intelligence perspective, like I'm thinking about it, like who benefits from us being messed up? Like there's a lot of state and non-state actors that really are benefiting from America crumbling in the way that we are. And like, so of course they're going to exploit that. Like that's what always happens. People exploit people's fears and to get what they want. And it's frustrating to hear that some people who like, like they'll think to a point, but then they won't, they'll like, they get to an answer that they like, and then they don't want to keep looking at it anymore. And it's like, no, like just because you find one thing that makes your assumption valid that yeah you have to keep fighting it you have to keep asking yourself different questions you have to be willing to look at the hard truth and we're not good at that in america because we believe in this you know everything's going to be okay like everything's everything will work itself out and it's like we have coasted on that for way too long of like oh everything or just oh just have a positive attitude and it'll change stuff and it's like that kind of thinking like yes it does help you in the short term like when you're able to take a step back and like you know be grateful for the things you have and like reevaluate yourself you know and just like think about where you are in the perspective of everything but like it doesn't help us when we're actually trying to create systems that actually help you know do the things that we need them to do like help keep us safe and help keep us healthy like we don't have systems that actually care about those things, and it's it's frustrating and it's sad to see people that, um, you know, they they say that they care a lot about what we're doing and they care about America, but then when it comes to them like doing something as simple as wearing a mask, they're like, nope, that violates my freedoms. And I was like, well, clearly you don't care about this country <laughs> if you're not actually like trying to help keep all of us safe so we can actually get through this. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of complexity, but we this is where drilling down and trying to come together and talk about those nuances and differences is necessary. And our media vacuum is like not set up for that. It's not set up for nuance. No, the the um, taking taking almost any news from uh, the American media that you have to make an assumption whether it's you know you think it's only partially or entirely that 
the propaganda is baked in that the, the stories are coming across the specific way they do um, because the, that it's already right there in front of us. You know, that the that American is exceptional, that we only do the right thing as far as, you know, right can mean anything, but but it's window dressing. It's, you know, it's, it's um, you know, it, it's Lloyd Austin being the Secretary of Defense because he's a he's a black guy. Does that make things better for black Americans in the military? No. Um, and I'd, I'd like to I'd like to say that it does, but it, it, again, in anything that they say, it ends up being a a form of subterfuge or just window dressing. They want to just pull it over the top. So, um, let's move on to chat for just uh, just a few minutes about the withdrawal from Afghanistan. Um, so the the official withdrawal's been over for several months now. Um, the people in Afghanistan are absolutely in need of aid, of more aid than I don't. I don't know if we're actually providing any uh, to them right now, or it's just other countries. Um, but they are still in need of uh, a great amount of aid. Um, will uh, U.S. sanctions truly be altered enough to allow the country to have some breathing room? My guess is probably probably not. But somewhat like uh, like our relationship with Vietnam, that because it was a place that we went and destroyed and did all these things too, that there's a little additional incentive to be helpful, to not be as heavy-handed as we can be in terms of national security policy. But again, that's you know who 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 knows uh, where that's actually uh, going to end up. Yeah, oh, it's it's a a double-edged sword, you know, because it's like it's good that we've ended our involvement and the catalyst for radicalization is a little bit gone, but because the Taliban took over and we're seeing some of the stuff that's going on, and then yeah, we still have the sanctions in place, and it's like, ugh, like, are we doing anything to make it, that that is just like the main question in my head is like, are we doing anything? to help benefit people's lives in the ground, on the ground. And no, you know, I mean, it's, it's always like, it's just this, you know, very piecemeal approach of like, well, we'll look, we'll do this one little thing and like, Ooh, look at the things that we're doing for them. But overall, it's not actually helping a country that we literally spent the last 20 years. fucking up. And I mean, it's interesting seeing Russia's um, Russia's like inclinations now, like with what they're doing in Ukraine. And I'm just, I, it's really funny how history is repeating itself in the fact that they went to Afghanistan and it totally fucked them up. And then like we were in Afghanistan for the last 20 years and now things are really changing here. So it's interesting to see that the way that like war it, it really brings out like the quality of a country, like what is the purpose of a war? And we can never admit defeat. It has to be like some kind of bullshit hollow victory <laughs> because, oh no, but it's I, like, if we were just honest with ourselves and we were just honest with the reality of the situation, I think people would respect us a lot more, but it, it, I mean, that's why a lot of people are angry at us because we we do whatever we want and everybody just has to deal with it. And we like we've like exported that overseas. 
especially when Americans go overseas that they don't like not a lot of them try to understand the culture or the people. It's just kind of like I'm an American in this space and I'm just going to keep doing my own thing. But it's like that's not you're not learning anything that way. Like you're not learning how people do things differently. And it really it really makes us look really I mean, I think that's why the world like laughs at us, but it's also sad for us at the same time because they're like, oh, you guys are so dumb. But then they're like, oh, well, I mean, yeah, like it's there's so much of your culture that doesn't want to encourage people to learn and look outside of themselves and grow. And that doing doing anything in that direction is not it's not treason or disloyalty of any mix that you want to learn about another culture that you want to, you know, be able to understand the history that a people have lived with. And especially the history for us that involves, uh, American empire. So the, uh, the last, uh, headline I wanted to specifically touch on today for, uh, for 2021. And I realize there's been a lot of other really huge stories. Um, so, but these, these are ones that, that stuck out to me in particular, um, as far as that the seeing how things go with it into the into the new year. Um, so the last one is about the uh, report on active duty and veteran suicides from the Watson Institute, the cost of war project. And the um, that it, essentially the statistics put it at a for every one combat death um, in the war on terror somewhere for in whatever uh, circumstances, there were at least four suicides. Um, most of them, most of them, veteran suicides, um, but at least four for every one. And so, I think it was twenty nine thousand some and uh, some change over the from September two thousand one through I think it was mid this year, maybe May. Um, and so. It, we need to we need to wrap our minds around that this is the re this reality whether um accurate or even harsher happens at other wars too it's just something that we haven't studied it nearly as much to be able to demonstrate it um going back over time but it's, it is something that you can study in in some detail you know this the civil war had a had a huge rash with suicides and with the uh, with uh, opioid abuse uh excuse me opioid abuse um, what was it? Laudanum, the, the heroin, the, the liquid stuff that guys would use. And, um, but anyway, so, so when people talk about wanting to do any kind of military operation and I don't, it doesn't matter what exactly kind it is, ask them if, if specifically, if it's combat, are they willing to lose four more people for every one combat death that happens in that pretending for just a moment, you don't give a shit about the combat deaths, which you know, is, is, isn't true, but that to understand what the real impact is, you know, is yeah. like, and I think that I wish we had some, and there, uh, we, I wish we had some equations about that in terms of environmental damage. It's like for, for every gallon of, of diesel that we burn, um, at a given point, there's this much that ends up into the environment, this much PFAS from firefighting foam or, uh, depleted uranium or white phosphorus or lots of other horrible things that we end up Putting in the environment, but it's we by by knowing that it becomes very easy to talk to someone who says this is why we should do this, and it's like, well, I can tell you that for every one, we're going to lose four more in this particular 
uh, conflict, but it's the reality. It is the reality. Don't let anybody tell you that it isn't because this is what actually happens with people trying to cope with what happened to them and what they did uh, being in combat. Yeah, and we don't, we don't give people a mechanism to understand that. And we don't give the, the service members themselves any vehicle to like process this when they get out. And it's interesting because I've been talking to some people who are telling me more about like the way that there are certain aspects of the military that are starting to open up more to therapy and more to like, you know, normalizing mental health issues. But the caveat is that their focus tends to be on the performance aspect and not necessarily like, how are you doing? But like, you know, how are you doing to help you get like get through this? But Mm -hmm. how are you doing to help you function and do your job? And so they're doing, they're using a lot of like performance psychology and other like corporate uh, psychology crap. That's all just like about increasing productivity, not actually like, hey, let's drill down and figure out, you know, what's going on here. And because like, they don't want to acknowledge the fact that being in the military is a is a traumatic experience. Like doing stuff that forces you to completely change the way that you live your life. And that can be a good thing in some ways, but in a lot of ways it's not because you're still a part of the American empire, which is like about going out and killing people. That's what the military is about. And I've had some interesting conversations with some folks who are like, I'll put myself in some of these Twitter spaces where I'm just like talking or listening to folks. And uh, it's interesting to be in a space where being a veteran can be looked at as like a negative. Like if I'm speaking with a lot of more lefty folks, um, you know, they wouldn't necessarily like, there's a lot of assumptions that they could make about me being like a mostly white dude who is in the military. It, like a lot of people when they first meet me, they think I'm like super patriotic when they hear the veteran thing. And I'm like, no, no, no. <laughs> but it's interesting to kind of have to be like, okay, like I have to take myself out of it and explain like, you know, what I'm trying to do now mm-hmm. and how we're trying to like use this pedestal that we're on as veterans to like call this stuff out. And I know there's a lot of people out there doing it, but it's still like a minority of folks. And it's, it's not the most common conception, like the prevalent conception of a veteran is like someone who's super pro-military and like super proud of what they did. And that's not the case for a lot of us. Like there's a lot of us that are not that way. So, but it is interesting when I have to take a step back and, you know, really just like get out of my own comfort zone and be willing to like explain, you know, what I'm trying to do to help, uh, kind of correct the stuff but we have to find that all on our own you know and that's the hard that's the hard thing is some people have a support network where they can come out and go through that transition with support and they also want to accept the support which is a part of it um but then there's so many that don't they don't have that support or they don't want it because they feel like they can make it on their own and then 30 years goes by and they're like whoa what happened to me? Like, how did I change over this time? And it's been something that I see a lot with my folks, like with, you know, the folks that I work with and just seeing a lot of them 
and like later in life when they're in their it's like late 50s and 60s and 70s and they're having to confront all that now and uh, <laughs> it makes me sad for them but it also makes me feel like proud of myself of the fact that like I'm tackling this now like I'm attempting to go through this and I'm like we're out here trying to support each other and like our own mental health stuff and that's that's absolutely what we need like we need to just give each other a break these days and like I live in Portland and I hear a lot of people getting so angry outside and it's just like everyone's getting so defensive and they're getting so like stressed out because of the uncertainty of everything and we don't have our leadership that's actually telling us anything real that's like actually going to give people any hope or optimism <laughs> and so a lot of people are feeling left out and they're feeling unheard and disrespected and it's just like we just need to fucking give each other a break like I watched that uh, South Park post-COVID thing and uh, they did this whole like COVID special and it was really nice. But it, the way that they ended it was really just like people being nicer to each other. And I just, I, I love that. I'm like, come on, if we all just fucking give each other a break and just calm down a little bit. I mean, think about how much better like we would be able to, you know, we're our new normal is different. Like, that's the big thing that I think a lot of people don't want to accept is the fact that, like, what we used to have is not going to happen for a long time, if it ever happens again. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. That means that we can change, we can adapt to this new normal, and we can figure out better ways of actually taking care of people, maybe creating supply chains that aren't so, like, insane, like buying a bunch of cheap crap from China. We don't need to do that anymore. You know, like, build up your local area so that we can actually become more self-sufficient in that respect. And then actually building systems that are based on people. And yeah, I, 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 I do hope that it is possible, but I know there's a lot of stuff that's arrayed against it. Our podcast is supported in a few different ways. First, there's Patreon, where we're blessed to have an array of wonderful supporters helping the guys and I pay for some of the podcast expenses. Those who contribute $10 a month or more will be mentioned right here as an honorary producer, helping keep you, our listeners, stocked with new episodes. But you don't have to contribute $10 a month to help us. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help keep us going, paying for hosting and storage fees, transcribing old and new episodes, promoting and expanding the podcast, and more I'm sure I can't think of at the moment. So let's bring out our honorary producers, and they are Fahim Shirazi, James Obar, Adam Bellows, Eric Phillips, Paul Appel, Julie Dupree, Thomas Benson, Janet Hansen, Tristan Oliver, Daniel Fleming, Michael Karen, Zach H., Ren Jacob, Howard Reynolds, Why I Am Anti-War Podcast, Scott Spaulding, Kenneth Cordasco, Korgoth, and the Status Quo Podcast. Your contributions are wonderfully helpful to us. Thank you so much. However, if Patreon isn't your style, you can contribute directly to us through PayPal at paypal.me forward slash Fortress on a Hill.
Or please check out our awesome store on Spreadshirt.com for some great Fortress merch. The link is in the show notes. And now, let's get back to the podcast. I like the... I like the idea of doing your best to treat people like they're doing the best they can. That if you're if you're dealing with someone and they're they're angry or they're frustrated or whatever it is that unless you know otherwise, it, it you know that that people generally are doing the best they can. They're trying to keep things together and trying to to do what they can. And I I, I like that idea because sometimes our external perception of what a person is going through is very different than what they actually are. And we have mm-hmm. to be willing to, um, to meet them where they are, you know, to try to talk and try to try to understand as, as much we, as much as we can. Um, I understand it's, it's like hard for a lot of people to be vulnerable like that, to like let go true. of their preconceptions and their assumptions about somebody because they're afraid or because they want to maintain some kind of control or, you know, some identity of self-respect or whatever, but it's like, I mean, we're all going through stuff. Like we all are. And like, everyone is just trying to do the best they can. And sometimes people feel the need to lash out. But again, it's, it's not because they're like attacking you. It's because they want to feel heard. They want to feel like they're not getting their needs met. And it's, I know that that's hard to deal with. And, but it's, it's like, I mean, we're all just getting a really necessary lesson on the value of community and the value of talking to each other and actually being like respectful and like understanding where another person is coming from. So I, I hope like, I, the, the, I don't know. I mean, the military, if the military isn't going to do a good job of actually acknowledging the damage that it causes, then it's up to us and the veteran community to like, to do it to say like you guys are sucking at this and if you want things to actually be better for people when they get out like you guys say because they say all this crap about how great it is when you leave the military all the benefits you're going to get but you know they never talk about all the bad stuff and so it's up to us to be actually real and be like okay you get we got all these other things but here's all this other stuff that we never talked about and if you want to, if we want to have the real picture, that's where we need to start. Absolutely, dude. Absolutely. So I wanted to um, actually no, um, you were gonna you were gonna share something real quick. So let, let's uh, let's do that. Okay. <clears throat> um, well, I just wanted to say. Uh, some good things I think about like good predictions. Um, I'm really glad that Russia is not invading Ukraine yet. I know things are really tense there. A lot of people were thinking like in December was going to happen. Um, not out of the woods yet, but they did bring back like 10,000 troops from the border. So they still have like, I don't know, 80,000 or something there, but they like, that's a step. Right. And even if it is a calculated step in the long game, it is a step towards like reconciliation or at least talking again. And I know that like with the sanctions, like, Russia is, is hurting. They're hurting a lot like because of everything, but the sanctions aren't helping. And so, and like, they really want 
to take Eastern Ukraine a lot because uh, they feel like it could work out for them. I think if they did take it, like I don't think they would take the whole country. I think they would just take like a part of it. When I was reading some analyses about that, about because there's like a water pipeline that they want to make, like from Crimea through to Russia, and it'd just be easier for them to take like this piece of Eastern Ukraine, like in Donetsk and some of those regions that are already like more pro-Russian because the further east that they go or further west that they go, the more um, resistance they would run into. So, and I don't think he wants like a protracted war right now. So there, there's a lot to be said for like the diplomacy that's actually going on. Uh, I mean, we're kind of sucking in other areas, but I was like, okay, that's like one good thing. And um, I, I, like on the front of like military spending, I think, like I said earlier, like a lot of people were like, wait, why are we spending so much more money when we need to be doing stuff to actually help people here? And like across the aisle, there's a lot of people saying that a lot of people who aren't trying to listen to the partisan bullshit, the people that are actually wanting to help you know, they're like, wait a minute, we could be doing more. And so I, I'm, I'm seeing a lot more people like really understanding the, the duopoly, like the illusion of choice that we have when it comes to elections. And I really think in the next couple elections, we're going to see a lot of people not voting or voting third party. And I think that that would be a good catalyst for us to actually be like, okay, to recognize that our system is broken and that we need to actually change it in a lot of ways or else we're not going to make it or we just like fractionalize as a country which is what some people are thinking are going to happen in like the next 10 to 15 years um because it is easier to create more regional governments and cooperation agreements with like the regions instead of having us try to do everything for the 350 million people across thousands of miles is hard like a country is hard and China has been able to control theirs because of, you know, their authoritarian leanings and the way that they've created the society. Uh, but we don't have that here. And so, like, having this vague identity of, like, national identity, I think it served us well in the past. It clearly did. But it's, like, we don't need that anymore. And so it'll be interesting to see how that changes, like, what... Um, but I, I, I'm trying to be an optimist here and think that, like, it's going to be good because more people will be wondering, like, what is effective and how do we actually help the people that we want to help? And it's not through going through these giant bureaucratic systems that where it's, it becomes more focused on image and maintaining your uh, power base instead of actually doing the job. So I think that that's a good thing. Um, the, I know that there's a lot of, like, negative um, predictions about the economy. And while that is probably true, there is an, always the upside, which is the fact that more people would be looking to kind of break out of this cycle of debt and just what are we doing? Why do we keep throwing money at Wall Street Why when they don't do anything to actually help us? Like there's going to be more people that are like, you know, realizing, okay, we've created these systems that are set up to benefit a few people and not the most of us. So as much as it sucks when we have these crunches, 
you know, there's a real opportunity for people to, to stand up and have their voices be heard because there's a mass of people that agree with it. And, and then it's up to our leaders if they want to stay in power to actually do something about it. I'm, I'm, I'm really enlivened by the, um, the union protests that have gone on this oh year gosh. and the, the steps that they've been able to take. And, and that I'm, I'm hopeful that, um, that over time that, that some places, I, I don't know if, if, I know Amazon has said, you know, they'll kind of back off their guys and let them try to do that, whether that, that it's going to happen or not remains to be seen. Um, but I like the idea of being able to pursue that. I like, you know, I, I, I hope that our country does become more accommodating to people being in unions. Um, but especially because of the, how that will shift the power base more towards people than it would be on the, on the corporate side. Um, granted, you know, unions have to fight a lot harder than the corporate side. It, it, it's just about, you know, who has the most, most money and the most, uh, the most to lose. Um, but we also are now living in a time, you know, that the, the internet is much more accessible. People can post, you know, if you want to go live to Facebook and share your, your experience with something you can. And I think over time that that can be, end up being weaponized on behalf of the people, you know, but it's, it, it's something that's going to take more time to, uh, to happen on the other side, the level of corporate power in our country is almost supreme. You know, and and even if you look at it, that it's the main backing power of the U of the U.S. government, then um, you know, do we even really have a federal government that does anything that we consider good without corporate America saying yes or no? However, it wants to to voice its uh, its side of things, but um, but I'm I was so happy to see that too. It has. It's been a. It's 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 been great. I uh, my wife actually reminded me earlier about that Kellogg's finally uh, made made an agreement with its unions and stuff, and those guys are back at work, which is which is really great. And it's great that they were able to hold out for as long as they did, and they got some really decent concessions. Um, you know, it is possible making change in that way is possible in our country, um, but will it actually have? Uh, the impact that people really need over time it, it only i think only time will tell i think we're doing like the strikes are great because it's there's so many people out there that are recognizing their power especially the people that work in these really key sectors that are like like we like all these people that have been working six seven days a week with like 12 hour shifts you know and these like I forget what they call it, like the suicide shifts where they like make them go to work just to in like in 36 hours and like a 48 hour period. And just like all this gross stuff because their main, because they only care about productivity and, and it's all for them about shareholder maximization. And it's just, it's so great to see people who are finally like, like listening or taking the time themselves to be like, why is this happening? Why are we working so much? Is it worth it? And a lot of people are like, fuck, no, it's not worth it. I don't have time for myself. I don't have time for my family. I am not making enough to like exist. And it frustrates me so much living in a town that is experiencing a lot of homelessness because we've seen these insane uh, housing price increases in the last 10 years. And it's so frustrating to talk to people that just, they want to look 
at one section of the problem where they see a person or they see a camp and they're like, oh my God, those people need to blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, mm. like the number one people reason people are homeless is because they can't afford to live in their own neighborhood. That is it. Like all the drug presses and all the mental health stuff is secondary. And it's usually exacerbated by their time on the street because it's fucking stressful as shit to live outside and have to worry about every second of like, are you safe? Is your stuff going to be okay? Like most people could not do that. Like most people could not do that for a couple of weeks, let alone months or years. And I, like most of my program is folks who've been outside a long time. So there's just so much that uh, deconstruction around the, these myths of homelessness and like what actual solutions are. And when you look at the data, it's like putting people inside with supportive services is what works. And giving people the mental freedom to be like, okay, I've got my basic needs taken care of. What do I want to do now? Like, what do I want to spend my time doing? And it's so frustrating that like we have tried to impose these kind of like, this is what life is. Like, this is what doing well is, you know? And then all these people have bought into it because that's what we were told. And you're seeing a whole bunch of people, like not just young people, but like older folks who've been a part of this system for a long time that are also waking up and being like, well, fuck this. Like I've been working so hard for 40 years and what do I have to show for it? You know, I'm in debt. Most, most people in America die 60 to $70,000 in debt. It's because our entire society is set up that way. So there's a lot of people that are like, wait, we were sold this fucking bill of goods about how if we work hard, you know, we're going to be successful. And they exploited that because they're all doing fucking great. Like the, when you like, there's no better example to just show people how much money the richest 20 people have made over the last two years versus the bottom 50%. It's like, how can you not show, see that this system is messed up, that it's rigged for these few people. And that it's so great to see there's a lot of people waking up to that. And I'm really wondering how that's going to translate into like, and like uh, Starbucks also, they got unionized after they were getting pummeled with a lot of stuff. Uh, they, and so there's a whole bunch of more Starbucks that are like ready because they like, I feel like the elites know that it's like a domino effect in the right direction as once one person gets or one company or one like store gets it. They're like, okay, like all we have to do is follow that mechanism to make it work for us. And, and just ignore all the bullshit propaganda that the company puts out and all these anti-union meetings that they'll make people go to or whatever. And it's like, you know, don't be afraid of like being valued, of like getting what you deserve. I think there's a lot of thing that makes me sad is like, I don't know if you, I, when I'm on YouTube, I get those like Veterans United ads and they're talking about like, uh, you know, just like they'll talk to a veteran and the veteran will be like, I'm I just, I've never done anything with the expectation of getting something back. And I think that that's really sad that we think like that because anything that we get is then, well, at least it's better than nothing, you know? And, and we've lived our entire fucking lives like that. I was like, if we get a crumb, we're like, oh, it's better than nothing. But it's like, why are you saying like, you're happy about your crumbs when this dude over here is fucking creating an overheated luxury yacht market because they all want to buy these giant fucking multi-million dollar yachts. Like, come on, like, don't you see the disconnect there? 
like what about what we fucking deserve like we deserve to be safe and to be healthy and to like have a fucking roof over our head like i don't understand why that's so hard and it makes me sad that like i i no, i'm happy that we're shifting that we're shifting that narrative of like wait a minute there's all these countries and all these people over here that have less than we do but they live better lives than us because their government actually takes care of people and my brother my brother's in, in turkey he's been there since like august october of last year and uh you know he's met all these amazing people and like people that you know really get to travel all over the world because their governments give them fucking time off to do that you know like for people from algeria and from Syria and Egypt, like places where people in America would be like, oh, they're not like doing well. They're not like a pure nation. Like those people give more of a shit about their people than we do because at least they're making an attempt. And sure, some of them might be a little more authoritarian, but like they're giving people healthcare. They are giving people time off to actually get out and see the world. And there's like a culture of wanting people to experience more than just what they experience in their daily lives and it's something that i wish that we gravitated towards in america because it's like if you want a better perspective if you want to get outside your own little rat race and like see what's possible there's nothing better than getting out of your area getting out of what you're doing and just seeing like we're all people we're all trying to feel the same way and we just have to figure out ways of how of how we do that and so I'm, I'm really hopeful that that's the discussions that we're having going into the year because we built all this worker power. Now the, the next step is then how do we make it permanent? And for me, if we live in this capitalist society, it's like to get workers on the boards of companies. Like in Germany, they have to have 50% of their co- corporate boards have to be workers. And so think about how like the power dynamic is so great there because the workers are definitely benefiting from the shareholders and then the shareholders are benefiting from the workers. And like, I mean, ideally I wouldn't want us to have that anyway, but like if we're going to exist in this place, like workers need to have a seat at the table and not just be told what to do and not just get whatever they're willing to throw, but like actually get to be a part of the decision-making process. And I'm hoping that's the direction we're going no, it, it, it's 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 difficult to wake people up to how much corporate control mitigates how good people can have their lives. Mm-hmm. That uh, you know, cho- choosing whether or not people can work forty hours a week or having to get another job or a third job, depending on what it is. Um, but you know, the, the like right to um, right to work laws. You know that they're they're not necessary, in in the least. And you go back if you were to go back and look over history, I'm sure that most of them were supported by giant corporations trying to get more money out of it. Um, so yeah, no, the 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 the, the narrative definitely have to, has to change in that way, in that that workers have value that we don't have to, like you said, we don't have to take the crumbs. We don't have to, we need to be willing to look at the, at the, at the other side of that. Um, But, but because it is so horrifying, you know, that I think about guys, you know, like there's, I've seen ads in my area for um, people starting businesses that are Amazon delivery businesses. 
and so that you know and i'm sure that you know if they depending on how much how much work they put in and i'm sure amazon works them to freaking death but comparative to other jobs it still seems better it you know that that the the little bit of extra scratch that someone makes or the you know the little tiny concessions and that people should not have to work so hard for so little that it needs it needs to be different but that also is going to require there being enough of a of a popular sentiment that unionization is good that people deserve to have good benefits for work that um, that and and that the and I've I've um, started to think of things like you know Social Security and Medicare are you know the little bit of scratch, and that it still needs to be much better. But people are, are so I mean, and 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 I guess that I think that's a good thing that people are appreciative of what little they have in that way. But it should not be conditioned by by forces outside of their control. So yeah, it, they it, should have they should get to have a say in their own fucking direction of life. Yeah. And it's, it, it is really interesting to see, like, to, you know, talk to my folks that like, you know, grew up in the seventies or in the sixties and just like the way that their life was and like how, how it's been shaped over the last 50 years because of this insane neoliberalism that we adopted. And I just, I don't know, like, I'm, I feel really grateful to be, in this moment, like even with all this crap that's going on, like I feel like we are on the cusp of like a really monumental shift. And it's unfortunate because there's a lot of people that are afraid. And I don't like, I understand their fear. I just wish that there was a way for them to like step outside of their own little box and realize like, you know, maybe the things that they're afraid of are not as big a deal as they think, or that there are ways to deal with it that don't include violence, that don't include um, trying to force people to change their mind. And like, that is hard because sometimes we need to have that conversation when people don't want to do something of like, is this serving you or is this serving everybody else? And I think in America, like we've gotten so used to this idea of like freedom as freedom from constraint, you know, of this idea of like, Freedom means I can do whatever the fuck I want to do. But we know that when you try to apply those personal freedoms to a society, that doesn't actually work. Because if I say I want to drive down the road 100 fucking miles an hour all the time, everyone would be like, you're going to kill somebody. And you can't do that. And it's the same thing with so many things. Like, we, our freedom doesn't, like, there's a freedom that allows people to be their self to be themselves like that's what i care more about is freedom of self-expression like freedom yeah. to be who you are and not have anyone care or to not have to care about what people say about you and if you're coming from a place of trying to help people then you need to be fucking honest about that. and if you're not then you know i mean there, people are always going to try and and convince you of something but it's like I don't know. I feel like I, I'm hoping. I'm hoping that we can all just start to be like, okay, let's look at things critically and empathetically and with some perspective, and like taking ourselves, our own ego, out of it, and being willing to like maybe listen to what other people have to say instead of trying to talk over. Them. And I mean, that's something that we have to learn a lot. Like, especially you and I, as like mostly white dudes, like we, you know, we have 
we have like a, we are at like the top of the social hierarchy. And so there's a lot of things that other white dudes would say to us that they wouldn't say to other people, which frustrates me when I hear that kind of stuff. But I feel like it goes both ways. Like there's a way for us to be able to speak to folks, to those folks that aren't willing to listen to people and they think that they're right or whatever, you know, their group is saying. And there's a way for us to talk to them in a way that actually allows them to think about something else. So because they would be more willing to listen to us, I feel like it's incumbent on us to like do what we can to help shed light on like the actual power dynamics and how to actually fix things and like get people to listen to each other. So I, I feel like that's a good space that um, I'm trying to put myself into more and just like really just listening to what other people have to say and trying to help build systems that are focused on that, like listening to the community and what they're a part of. Oh, it's good. I mean, yeah, good things. <laughs> Some good things. Uh, I want to, I want to, try to take more time in the future to talk with more veterans that are just veterans that are just mm-hmm. just guys you know that that it doesn't matter the time period they served or anything but just have those ordinary conversations about stuff but the um sometimes it, it, it depending on what kind of media space they come from that the initial backlash depending on how you phrase what you say that you know they have already been stuck in a in a a propaganda sandwich and can't you know quite fit the, find their way out it doesn't mean you shouldn't you shouldn't talk to them but it's uh um it can be very frustrating and trying to get through that anger and 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 to 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 be able to latch on to those little nuggets of truth so. it's been sad too for me to even talk to folks that you know like some folks on the left who feel like violence is the only recourse to like change things and it makes me sad because I feel like, I mean, and again, I understand I'm coming from my own place of privilege, but like, I think that there's a lot of people who have been on the other end of violence and they've seen that it works for the people in power. Mm-hmm. And so they might think, well, that's the way to get what I want to like create a better world. I have to go do this thing, but it's like, I don't, I don't, I I can't ever agree with that because I feel like you're always going to cause more problems than you'll solve with violence because there's always going to be someone on the other end who is going to be hurt by that. And not just that person, but everybody who knows that person and cares about that person is going to be against you. Even if you're coming up with the best ideas or like, we're going to create this better world. But if you want to do that at the end of a gun or by forcing people to do that, that's not actually going to build consensus. There's no way that people are actually going to want to follow you. And I feel like as those of us who've been a part of state violence and actually have understand the, like the mechanisms by which state power works, you know, we can't fight fire with fire because they're always going to win because they have the bigger things. It's not unless you get the people who are in those key positions of the influence of the power to actually shift on your side, that's the way that like revolutions and like societies actually change is by you have to get those people who are part of that structure on your side to be willing to actually, you know, shift things because they can then marshal the resources needed there to do it. So it's, I don't know, it's sad, but also like, 
I mean, if, if we want to be honest and we want to come from a place of compassion and empathy, then we have to think about it. Like, what is the best way to do this? And that's coming from that place of trying to understand where someone's coming from. Couldn't agree with you more, dude. Absolutely. Oh, that'll be so, interesting. <laughs> um, so I wanted to uh, I wanted to list off a few of my favorite episodes from this last year, um, as we uh, start to close out here. Um, and uh, first one is uh, we did a review with Tom Secker earlier in the year on the movie um, The Siege. I think uh, <laughs> I think you sat in on that one too, mm-hmm. and there was a it was a really good discussion. It's a it's um, if you if you've never seen the film. It it's really interesting to see that you know that the the different viewpoints they stuck to, but of course, I'd listen to the episode after because you're going to learn quite a bit more about how that whole story came together. But de- definitely worth a listen. Um, next one is uh, my sit down with uh, Spencer Ackerman that uh, came out I think very end of November. Um, uh, Spencer, of course, is the uh, author of Reign of Terror. Um, it was uh, it was really great to get to talk to him um to you know that uh, we don't we don't always get to talk to people who are more traditional national security reporters people who have been not so much on the anti-war side of things but you know that doesn't mean that that i mean he had a lot of very very well thought out criticisms of uh of the national security state and and how things uh how things uh, cer- certainly need to be viewed in a, in a different way. Um, number three was uh, a live stream with uh, Lee Camp. We got to, I got to chat with him. Um, this is quite a few months ago now, and just kind of hear a little bit about his process and why he does what he does. We also talked about his uh, his dad, Dr. Norman Camp's book on uh, being a psychiatrist in uh, during the Vietnam War. Um, and I'll try to uh, I'll link that. With the uh, show notes, if anybody wants to take a look at it, I can't remember if I've linked to it in the past, but a really great read and um, yeah, definitely a good listen. Um, number four is uh, National Bird with uh, Lisa Ling that uh, Kay and I talked to uh, Lisa. It's about two months ago, two and a half months ago now. I'm trying to remember, um, but a really great discussion. She talks about her role in the documentary National Bird about uh, drone whistleblowers. Um, that documentary also includes um, the participation of Daniel Hale, who is uh, now in uh, federal prison for uh, his his whistleblowing case. And uh, if you uh, if you have the time, you have the chance, um, please please send him a message, write him a letter. Um, it's something I've actually been meaning to do myself and haven't got around to. Um, but uh, definitely take the time to do that. And if you have the chance, please definitely watch the uh, the documentary. Um, and donate to his uh, to his fund yes, because totally phone forgot. calls are super expensive in the communications management unit he's in. Yes. So it, like a phone call can be like five hundred bucks. It's insane. So I would suggest there. It's um. Should I think it's I, I stand with or stand with Daniel Hale? I think so. Uh, um, I think it might be dot org. Stand with Daniel oh, Hale yeah. uh, dot org. And um, uh, it's really easy. I it's really easy to donate. So I would do that if if you want to help him. And just I mean he seems to be doing okay. Like I've been uh, reading some letters that he sent, and uh, well, Lisa is like working with them, and um, 
I've been talking with like some other folks that are part of that community. And it's been really interesting to see really the, the support that has been coming to him. And he feels really fortunate for all of it. That's great. And I'm glad because he, he deserves it. He deserves help. Absolutely. Absolutely. He does. I'm glad uh, reality winner got out too. That yes. Was a good and, one. Yep, reality is now happen. out. She's uh, still, um, She's still on house arrest, I guess. I guess, but uh, but she is not in prison anymore, and we're very very thankful for uh, for that. Did you watch that sixty minutes she did? I did watch the sixty minutes interview she did. I thought it was great. I thought yeah. it was, I, and I I thought that she did a really good job of articulating why she chose to do what she did, and and for um, I, I wished um, it had been a little bit longer. Um, I don't know if there was a longer a longer version somewhere online, but and I thought that uh, there was a couple things that Scott Pelly could have been a little more fair to her on, but I think there there was a good portion of it where he was pretty he was pretty open and just let her share what she had to say, and so but yeah that was it was it was very powerful to see, and I'm and I'm very glad that a a even if even if it was unfair to her at some points that a major news outlet took the time to sit down with her, let her say her, her piece. Um, I, I think I thought that was uh, very powerful and I hope that other places uh, do that uh, in the future as well. You really got to see how, you know, how much this decision has like totally messed up her life. And yeah. like, but she's so, she's still grateful for it because she, she knows that she made the right decision. And it was, it was the right decision for her to do that. And Anybody who has tried to take anything through the proper channels knows that like 99% of them, they never go anywhere. And the main reasons that a lot of people who whistleblow say that they whistleblow is because they know that like it, or they've tried to go the proper route and it didn't work. And like, I don't know. I mean, I like being in the community during like Snowden and Manning going to prison I like Snowden getting uh, Snowden's revelations coming out uh, towards the end of my time. Like, it was really interesting to just, you know, really have to sit with it myself and be like, okay, like, what would I do if I was in that position? And like, would I have made that decision? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I would have just made a decision that I knew would mess up my career entirely, but know that like, it has to be done because nobody else is doing it. And you know, it really, it was like, especially her, because it was one document. And everyone was like, why the fuck is she going to jail for five years for one document that actually turned out to be very helpful to the Elections Commission and to the FBI investigation into, you know, Russia's involvement with, like, our elections. And it's, it's just like, I mean, that's, there was no clear picture to me of being like, okay, like, clearly she did the right thing here. And it did end up helping people actually figure out how to harden their systems or do something different to change uh, some of the ways that they were doing things. And it's just, it's, but I'm, I'm really glad that she's out. I'm glad that she's able to like tell like at least portions of her story. And I think they did a really good job of showing her, you know, humanity and like showing how difficult being in prison was and like this label that she has on her now, you know, it's it it is really inspiring to see the fact that she is trying so hard just to like, you know, to be uh, to adjust 
to like normal life and to be proud of what she did, but also like understand all the stuff that's gone through and what's happened to her. So yeah, I, I don't know. I, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Daniel as the years like next year and what happens. Do you recall when he's supposed to get out? Uh, I think he got something like, uh, shoot. I think he's up for parole in like another year and a half or so. Hmm. I forget. I think it's like maybe three years or something from like his time. But the, there's a lot of people working on his behalf and it's really nice to see um, the people that have been helped by his work be able to like get out and speak about it. So uh, last couple favorite episodes of the year here, um, we talked to uh, Hedrick Smith uh, much earlier in the year about the Pentagon and Afghanistan papers. And uh, for, for those who don't know, Hedrick Smith is, uh, he was one of the journalists who originally helped um, release the Pentagon papers um, back in, uh, in 71. And uh, it was him and uh, Neil Sheehan, and we we actually spoke with him about Neil a, a fair bit in this episode. So it's a it's a really great li- uh, listen. It um, the Hedrick just he has so much experience and and is is really good at sharing his story. And um, so please definitely uh, take a minute and uh, check that one out. Um, and last but uh, certainly not least is uh, my interview with uh, Talia uh, Talia Lugasi about uh, this is not a war story. And uh, uh, for those who, who haven't heard, um, this is not a war story was a, a film um, that she she directed and starred in alongside, um, see if I can remember how to say his name right, Sam Adegoge. And it uh, it also had some members of About Face uh, in it as well. And so the, the, the story really, really goes out of its way to try to break down some of the things that veterans come home with, but do it in a way that wouldn't overtly add to somebody else's trauma. Um, so, but a great movie, great story, definitely worth watching. And I believe now it took a long time to find a distributor, but now it is on HBO max. So you can nice. go, if you have an HBO max subscription, um, you can go and, and watch that whenever you uh, can, but great movie definitely worth your time to watch um and um and of course any of these if you guys do happen to give it a listen tell us what you think let us know what any thoughts you have about it um you know we're uh we are and we're kind of moving to our close here a little bit you know we're always looking for new ideas for episodes different ways that we haven't haven't done things and um so I wanted to close out with just a couple of my goals my podcasting goals for 2022 um, I, uh, during this year, there were, there were some months I'd like, to, I like to try to do at least two episodes a month. Sometimes I was able to, to do, we were able to do that. And sometimes we were, we were too busy or other stuff was going on, but that's my goal for 2022 is to get back to that two episodes a month. Um, I want to make some longer projects, some more, um, kind of dialogue, heavier stuff, um, stories that, you know, take longer time to tell, but of course it, it's, uh, you know, there's a lot more information baked in there. Um, 
And the last thing um, is that I, and this is just for me, um, I want to move to a bit more everyman type stories and stuff on, on the podcast that the, um, there are times where between my health or memory or whatever's going on that trying to learn about ISIS is really hard. <laughs> um, and so to, to, to really understand it. And of course, I'm still going to read up as much as I can on our ISIS related episodes or whatever else we happen to be studying. But, um, but I want to make sure that I'm, I'm using my talents as best I can. And I'm not overextending myself on stuff that I, I don't have a lot of experience with. So one of the things I want to do is I want to make a series about joining the military, about what it is really like, about sitting in the recruiter's office, about the the stories and the and the uh, the plots that you are told in joining the military, what it's like to go to MEPS, what it's like to uh, actually initially join the military, a little bit about what basic training is like. But um, but as as you know from us here on Fortress on a Hill, um, we're going to bring in some counter recruiting people to talk to us about recruiters and talk about how they how they utilize and 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 sometimes manipulate people we're going to bring on some mental health experts to talk about young people being in the military and what happens you know that most of our brains don't stop developing until age 25 so concussions and all kinds of other things can really wreak havoc on a person's entire life and that's of course just for starters um but anyways so but but please like i said please um any any ideas you have, questions, comments, concerns, bitches, gripes, moans, complaints, as one of my first sergeants used to used to put it. Um, but yeah, we want to know how you guys see this stuff, new ideas, and uh, thank you, thank you. As as always, we just passed our um, four years. It's been four years that the uh, podcast has been on the air, and you guys have been have been amazing keeping up with it. And and I uh, I hope that you'll continue to. Um, okay. Any uh, any final thoughts, man? Um, yeah, thank you so much for everyone who listens and supports what we're doing. Um, we're all just trying to be ourselves, trying to be authentic and open and honest and critical of ourselves um, in a good way, you know, constructively. But we would love to we love to hear stuff from people because it's harder for us to get that kind of like a reflection unless we get the reflection yeah. from others. So, you know, because, because we, you know, we are coming from a similar place, not exactly the same, but a similar place, you know, get it, the more perspective that we get and the more feedback we get, the better that we can do, you know, because for me anyways, I'm always trying to learn. I, we're both in that mindset of trying to learn, trying to be better people, trying to understand more about like, you know, what are these systems that we live in and, you know, how can we honestly assess them and what can we do better? And yeah, I mean, I'm so grateful for everyone who listens and I appreciate uh, everything that we do <laughs> and uh, and everything that everyone does for to help us. So thank you all so much. Yeah, thanks everybody. So I think that's gonna call it uh, quits for us for today. Um, we will be back again we will be back again soon with uh, with new episodes. Um, hope all of you are, are doing well and and keeping it together in this in this time of a very long COVID. But um, yeah, we will be back in the new year, and uh, we hope to see you there. So you guys, uh, everybody, take care. Thanks. We're on Twitter at Fortress on a Hill. 
and also at facebook.com at Fortress on a Hill. You can find our main blog page and our full collection of episodes at www.fortressonahill.com. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Patreon, Spotify. You name it, almost anywhere you listen, we're already waiting for you. And hey, we're always in the market for more Patreon supporters. Please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com. And if you're not into giving us a monthly payment, think about giving us a couple bucks on PayPal. The link is in the show notes. Skepticism is one's best armor. Never forget. Good people. We'll see you next time. And listen to my song. I hope you'll pay attention, I will not detain.